Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Uh, it's snowing in Upper DMZ. Wow. Uh, it's not sticking, but it is. There is. There are actual snowflakes. Well, I guess it is November. It's time to start talking about Christmas. So you might as well have uh, <laughs> snow to go along with it. It is. It's turned cooler here in Southern DMZ. It was unseasonably warm last week. We were in the yep. 80s. And it was blustery this morning when I took my kid to school. Uh, not snowing, Bill, but it, it definitely feels like November, which of course it is. Now, did you go out trick-or-treating last night? I did not because my um, my son uh, was being punished, believe it or not, Whoa. Uh, for some very bad behavior. It, it, it's, um, <laughs> it's one of those things where as a dad, uh, you, you want to take it seriously, Um my, uh, but, but I've had some conversations with his, his teachers and principals and, and they're like, yeah, we pulled him in and we said, uh, uh, do you know how many demerits you've had this year? And he's like about 50. And they were astonished that he was right on. And they're <laughs> like, do you know what the next person is? And he's like, probably around 20. And once again, they were astonished that he had it right. So, um, Bill, uh, as you can imagine, this didn't come out of nowhere. We, we've we've had uh, moderate steps along the way to try to get him to behave. And he's got a birthday party coming up this weekend. So the option was either pull the plug on the birthday party, which we don't want to do. Yeah. So I canceled Halloween. That was me. And how did, how um, did, how did that go over? He took it. He took it like a man. He took it well. He's he's he 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 knows he's bad. He knows he's wrong. He knows that he has been misbehaving, um, and uh, so he took it. He took it well. Surprisingly, now I will say we have had a couple of 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 outings already. Like we went to a like a a, a Halloween costume party a couple of weeks ago. So we have gotten some, uh, you know, got gotten a little taste of it, but no candy. Yeah. So anyway, uh, did Bill, did you, did you go out? Last year, viewers will remember, last year I was Ted Lasso, you were Beard. Mm -hmm. um, this year, Halloween just fell at the wrong time, so we're not in costume. Yeah. Um, so, but, I, I, have, uh, I had no costume for myself. We've, we've gotten to the point where you know, we're not accompanying the children trick-or-treating. Uh, my oldest went out with some of her friends. My youngest was invited to a Halloween party. Uh, I actually went out on my own. Uh, and You've arrived, Bill. You finally <laughs> made it. You've made it. We were going to try that this year uh, if our Halloween didn't fall apart. This was going to be our first year of nudging them to go out on their own. Uh, you have arrived, Bill. You're I, I didn't nudge you. They're telling me, like, you know, we're, we, don't, we don't need you anymore. Um, no. So I have a couple of friends. They, That's they, the dream of every father is yes. to not be needed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Joking. I have, I have a couple of friends. They, they do a horror-tober where they watch horror movies, you know, once a week in October. And I don't really like, like, real horror movies. Um, uh, I But I do like comedy horror movies. And... So they want to do a comedy horror to end the month for Halloween. And so they brought me in on that. And we had a, uh, we had like a voting system to decide which one to watch where we were, we were given 10 movies and we each eliminated one until one was left. Uh, and last year they gave me evil dead Two, which is one of my favorite movies. And, uh, I'd hope to get army of darkness this year, which is, which is essentially evil dead three. Uh, and it made it to the top two, but uh, I, I wasn't the one who got to make the last decision. And so we watched Dale and Tucker versus Evil. I don't know if you've seen that. I am not an aficionado, Bill. I've not seen this film. You would, I mean, it, it takes place in West Virginia. That would be even more concerning to me. That would be, I think, <laughs> less, that's less of a uh, uh, of a of an argument. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a very silly movie. It's not. A okay. scary movie. Um, I don't like the I I like Get Out and The Sixth Sense. Like mm -hmm. I, I I like the uh the thrill like the psychological thriller, um, but uh, I don't like the 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 gore and and all that. I mean, this is more slapstick than anything else. Slapstick with some gore mixed in. But, but the gore is so ridiculous that's not really mm. off putting. Um. Uh, 
you know, it's essentially it's the the premise is the classic, you know, you know, snotty college kids going up in the woods. Uh, of course, yeah. And, and Dale and Tucker are the the hillbillies with their own cabin in the woods. Uh, but they're good natured hillbillies. But the college kids think they're the ones causing all the mayhem when that's not really true. When you know, and madness ensues. I've got a million. Th- have you seen The Burbs with Tom Hanks? I did not see The Burbs. Okay, you need to watch this. Um, it's Carrie Fisher, Tom Hanks, Corey Feldman is in it, and um, you know it's this this guy who who comes to believe that Satanists have moved in next to him. Um, and this movie, it's a comedy, and if you could recut it today mm-hmm. and make it a really good movie. <laughs> like there's campy stuff that could be, I could go through and edit a version of this, like recut it to be like a very, very good movie. Or that, I mean, if you're going to do reboots, they should just go into all mediocre 80s movies and soup them up for modern taste. That would be a treasure trove of content. This movie has its moments. And Tom Hanks, as you know, this is before Tom Hanks became Tom Hanks. I mean, he was famous, but he had not become. This was, this was. If I remember correctly, I think the Burbs was, I think it was after, was it after before Big, it's definitely, definitely probably after, after Big, definitely after Bachelor Party, yeah, definitely. This after is Blue probably, Party. I'm thinking '87, Bill. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, mm-hmm. so Tom Hanks is very charismatic, um, but he thinks that the people who move next to him are Satanists, and it's kind of a commentary on suburbia and. Late stage capitalism, Bill. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> um, but it's 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 good. But it could have been th- this movie would be ripe for being remade. Actually, this could be or recut. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, I watched last night. Uh, you'll appreciate that. You're you're the only person in America who will appreciate this. But I was watching. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, and and the dad. I think isn't he's in the Young Frankenstein or something. Oh, yeah. Peter Peter Boyle. Right. So he is dressed up like Frankenstein <laughs> and he's handing out candy at Ray Romano's house, you yeah. know, but he runs out of candy. And so he goes to where Raymond had purchased some prophylactics and he thinks that these are like chocolate coins. <laughs> and he starts giving them out to kids at the door who are trick or treating <laughs> and hijinks ensue. It was a good episode. Young Frankenstein, definitely, you know, all time great. Uh, and I did also get to see Shaun of the Dead for like the 50th time over the weekend with some other friends, which is also, I think, uh, all time great. Uh, Bill, we lost uh, Richard Mall. Yes. Um, Bull oh, from Night Court this week. And when uh, when I saw it, you were literally the first person <laughs> that uh, that that came to me. It means, it means a lot, Matt. It means a lot. Um, but uh I think Roz and then Felding are the only two left from from the show. I think you can make a strong argument that Night Court is not a successful show without Richard Mall. Interesting. Now, he was simply the bailiff. Um, I feel like, couldn't you have replaced him with another big guy the way they replaced Selma with a different bailiff? I mean, I can't think of anybody who has done a character like Bull the way that he did it. Maybe others might come up with like 20 in the comments. (laughs) What what was it about him that was unique about uh, compared to like some other big hawking guy? He has had this, this great mix of, looking menacing but being an endearing goofball and toggling between the two you know deliberately you know he he, he knew how to use his 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 uh body to freak people out when all at, at the end of the day he was really just a teddy bear uh, and like many great 80s things like had perfect catchphrases you know the okay was just you know pitch perfect um uh, so he just uh, he just fit that part perfectly, and like the, the reason why the newer Night Court is not nearly as good. I mean, all the great shows have like some kind of 
straight man in the middle surrounded by wacky characters and, and the best draw, drawn characters and uh, executed characters make for a great show. It's why Newhart's great. It's why Seinfeld's great. That's why WKRP is great. Um, and your Night Court, had, the original Night Court had that. Well, I know this is a bit discursive, but let me tie things toge- together with a little Halloween and Night Court, which is to say Gomez Adams, the original uh, Gomez Adams, uh, who plays Harry Anderson's father on Night Court. You may know the catchphrase, but I'm doing much better now. <laughs> that guy nailed it. I got to yeah, say, it's from the Adams That guy, I love that guy. I'm sure he's been dead for a long time. Um, and shout out to friend of the show, Jessica, Bill, uh, who who did, I think, is it your Twitter avatar? Yep. Um, who was Morticia Adams this wow. year for Halloween. So... Uh, yes, Bill, you may have guessed I am I am uh, filibustering and trying to avoid talking about anything serious this week. So I will. Well, well, I got to you. I gotta say one thing, Matt. I say yeah. one thing. John Aston is alive. Yes. That's 90, awesome. 93 years old. If, if Wikipedia can be trusted. Well, John Aston, if you're out there, if you are listening. Uh, true, great. And I would say underrated. Hilarious, nailed it. I love those old Adams Family TV shows, the black and white episodes, and that guy nailed it. Um, so ta- hats off, hats off to uh, Gomez Adams, John Aston, and also in Teen Wolf Two and Gremlins Two. Maybe not his best work. Uh, I'm going to choose to remember him from the Adams Family, and yes, <laughs> from uh, Night Court. But I'm doing much better now. <laughs> great catchphrase. Whatever happened to catchphrases, Bill? It, the 80s. That's what they made the 80s great. Catchphrases. And songs, too. You know what's a good song? I won't sing it, but it goes, so no one told you life was going to work this way. <laughs> um, friends, we lost Matthew Perry. We done. I'm, I don't have, I mean, all due respect to Matthew Perry, I'm not as big of a Friends fan as many are. Oh, dude, it totally hit. You and I are around the same age, right? Um, Friends was literally like the biggest show when I became an adult and like moved. Same same for me. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually, I loved Friends the first season. I felt like I can't believe the show is capturing exactly where I am in my life and feels like, you know, the, you know, my day to day. And then at the end of season one, all the Rachel Ross stuff happened. I was like, ugh, I just did not. Was it that early on? Yeah, I just did not care for the, the direction they went in after that. And I stopped watching regularly. My prediction was so bad that I said, once Ross gets rid of that um, monkey, Marcel, mm-hmm. early on, Ross had a pet monkey named Marcel. Right. And I said, like, well, that's the key to the whole show, like bull. I was like, this monkey is ratings gold. And the minute they get rid of that monkey, the show's over. <laughs> and, you know, seven, seven, seven seasons later, uh, I was wrong. Uh, Bill, Chandler Bing, to me, not only was the show, like, important in terms of, like, hitting us right at that moment where we were leaving the nest, you know, and kind of dating and out on our own and all that. Not dating each other, necessarily. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, being adult, being adults and it's a show about friends and, and friends, you know, kind of replacing family in a way you're hanging out with them at Thanksgiving and all this stuff. Um, but Joey was like too good looking and cool and dumb, but I, Joey, I couldn't be, but like Chandler was the guy, like if I Chandler, well, he, he maybe the, I can be Chandler. He makes the show. I mean, just as much as I'd say, Richard, you, you can't have Nightcore without bull. You would not have friends without Chandler being like, he, he is the temple of that show, in my opinion. Um, and Joey, the only thing I always bugged me with the show is that Joey didn't belong there. Joey was a, I think Joey was a bad casting choice. Matt LeBlanc was a bad casting choice. And he just didn't fit the vibe of that group. And it, and it, and it made it less believable to me. It certainly worked, obviously. Uh, ratings and, and are proof that it did work. But I, I agree. In real life, I don't think Joey's their friend. I, I don't think he gets... I don't think he's in that apartment long, probably. 
You know, I'm, um, watching, I'm watching How I Met Your Mother with my youngest daughter, which is, again, 100% terrible parenting on my part. Yeah, some uh, inappropriate it, stuff. Have you got to the Vicky Mendoza, like, Mendoza parallel yet? What's that? <laughs> What's that? Have you gotten to the Vicky Mendoza parallel yet? I can't remember. Um, so, you know, like in baseball, the Mendoza we, line. I think we, so I this think, is. I think we um, did. I think we did. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, the Barney character, who's the same sort of playboy kind of as the Joey character, like even though it's ridiculous that they're friends with him. Like when Neil Patrick Harris is like a million times more talented than Matt LeBlanc. Um, and, and so I, I just feel like they made that incongruity work better on that show. And I'm not that they have much where there's like a perfect show and there's certainly there's flaws to it. But I feel like that, I feel like he adds chemistry to that show and Matt, Le, Le, Matt LeBlanc uh, subtracts chemistry from friends. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think Neil Patrick Harris is a very talented actor, obviously. And, uh, um, anyway, uh, they will be missed and, uh, but Gomez Adams survives. So yeah. that, you know, take that for what, it, what you will. I, I know we're trying really hard to avoid the Middle East map. Maybe... I mean, if we talked about, about Nate Bargetsy <laughs> hosting SNL, if you haven't seen it, uh, I'm a fan of his clean comedy and yeah, I, uh, I, I never heard him before. I, I watched the SNL. I never heard of him otherwise. Yeah, and he just—he's the latest guest on um, the uh, the podcast with uh, Dana Carvey and and uh, and uh, David Spade. Um, he's 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 big. He's clean. That's the key. Is I think he's probably making a ton of money. Um, he's sort of in the uh, Dust, Dustin. Uh, what's his name? Like Jim Gaffigan, mm-hmm. and I can't think of Dustin's last name. But there's a handful of these guys that I can listen mostly listen to their stuff with my kids. So, um, perhaps a way to ease into the Middle East discussion is to talk about the congressional aspect um, uh, and how Mike Johnson, the new speaker, is handling uh, the issue. Do you feel like he is being savvy? in the cards that he's playing or is he setting himself up for a big fail? It's early. So let's just say that Uh, it's still early. Um, I don't know. I haven't figured out if he is being savvy. I'd love to hear your take on that. I do not have a take. I can just tell you from a policy standpoint, I strongly believe we should be supporting Ukraine and Israel and I would probably argue that Ukraine is in more dire need of funding than Israel right now. Um, so it concerns me that it is uh, the bottleneck is happening and that with a, a minority of Republicans, but who are now in leadership, who are stopping or, or at least slowing down that funding. That's what concerns me. I don't know if it's smart politics. Uh, I just think it's bad humanity. Well, you separate issues. There's, 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 there's sort of two reasons why you might want to separate the, the two subjects. One is that you want to pass one, not the other. Mm-hmm. And so it's a way to defeat the thing you want to get defeated, not have it be bundled into things that you want to get passed. Um, I suspect that if you had a standalone Ukraine funding bill, that it would probably pass the House on its own anyway. But would it be introduced? Would, will he allow it to come well, to Well, I think he has said that, you know, Mike Johnson said, I think, to Hannity that, you know, Russia should be defeated, that uh, that we should stand with Ukraine, but he wants to see more of an end game, you know, from the White House. So he's sort of used the talking points on both sides of it. Uh, and you could point at, I think, different House votes to suggest where the Republican caucus stands is it a majority or minority in favor of helping Ukraine I think at bottom it's probably a majority for helping Ukraine uh, but regardless if you put it on the floor with the Democratic votes plus the Republican votes I think that bill should pass um, and Ken Buck said in the midst of the speaker vote that his understanding was that Mike Johnson was going to put that bill on the floor so I don't know where Ken Buck got that from he was told by Johnson directly uh, but he I also haven't... said that he wouldn't vote for someone who 
unless they told him that yeah. Joe Biden won the 2020 election. The question is, what's, what's the argument for separating them other than trying to kill one of the two? I mean, the argument would be, hey, I got these people on my right flank that want to have a standalone vote and register their disapproval. Let the baby have that bottle, knowing that it's still going to pass anyway. So you're, you're, you're going to get both things at the end of the day. Gotcha. Um, so if that's where Johnson is heading on it, you know, that doesn't concern me. Uh, now, is the other part of it is he's pushing an offset. He's starting with an Israel-only bill with an offset, So, it, it, which, one – is a dumb offset because it doesn't actually offset. See, so he's pairing you know, 14 billion for Israel with taking away 14 billion for uh, IRS uh, for the IRS, which in all likelihood is not going to cost is not going to be scored as an offset because you're making it harder for the IRS to do tax enforcement, which brings in revenue. So it's probably going to be a money loser. And Republicans who hate the IRS funding were just going to say, oh, we don't care what the CBO says. We just, we just don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a silly offset. It's not. It's going to be rejected by Democrats. It's going to be rejected by the Senate. And so it's, it's wasted kabuki time. Uh, you could argue, look, just let them pass whatever get to a House Senate conference, then negotiate that stuff out. And maybe that is Johnson's endgame. He's got to do this first obnoxious step before getting to the final compromise. Um, But it just seems like kind of an amateurish first step that is easily... I would think it is unhelpful to Republicans in general to be seen as creating an obstacle for funding Israel. Uh, there may be you know, folks on the far left and far right that don't like funding Israel, but I think, on, but what polling I've seen, one, it, support for Israel still polls very strongly, where it's weakest is in the under 35 crowd. There's a big drop off to the other age groups and the youngest age cohort. But I still think even amongst that age group, it's still a slight majority for Israel. I have to look at the I look at the poll data again. Um, but of course, young people are not Republican Party's bread and butter. So I don't see where the value is for Johnson to say, I'm gonna be I'm gonna make add a complication Israel funding. I mean, maybe for Ukraine funding, it would make some more crude political sense. Um so I feel like he is like, we're not going to land there. We're not going to land on a real offset. I don't think. Uh, And maybe Johnson's fine with negotiating that out at the last stage of the process. What have you gained in doing that? That I I don't really understand. I mean, you know, who's dry. Is is the what's the the expression the the horse pushing the cart or the cart tail wagging the dog? Yeah, there you go. A better analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, is is this Johnson doing what Johnson want doing what Johnson wants to do, or is he having to do these this dance because the Republican Party likes chaos and obstructionism and confrontational politics? And if if he just went along with it. Whether it's the right thing or not, if he just went along with it and if there wasn't controversy, it would look like he's a rubber stamp. Like, does he have to? Is this all performative? I I feel I have no idea what Johnson's personal views are. We obviously have his voting record. Uh, we know we, we always vote against Ukraine funding, I think, pretty much every time. Is that what he really believes or is he feeling like he's just going to that's just a, a, a checkbox for the kind of. Trumpy district he's in, uh, and deep down, you know, is perfectly happy with it going forward and knows full well that it will go forward. Uh, the one vote that we have to suggest he's not a full blown diehard America first Trumper is his vote for the debt limit deal. Uh, 
that's the only, that's the one glimmer of hope that I have that he's not a burn all down type and is willing to so and, and that if that's the case this is performative he's been put in there in part because he got the blessing of the far right faction who expect him to fight harder than Kevin McCarthy did and so he's got to start with that but it doesn't mean he's going to end with that but I really can't know for sure because he's such an untested commodity, which is why I was very yeah. swapping him out for McCarthy. I mean, but- I would be tempted to obviously his big thing is like social conservatism, Christian yes. conservatism. Yes. So I would be tempted to put him in like a Mike Pence, a young Mike Pence category, except he was the architect of <laughs> trying to overturn the election, you know, through constitution. You know, use tapping into his expertise as a constitutional attorney. But, but even there, how much of that was him trying to be a good soldier for the Trumpers, and how much of it was like, I really believe we can throw the selection for Donald Trump. I really don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm optimistic on that front, or I should feel like he he deserves the benefit of the doubt. I'm not making any of those arguments. Um, I, I wrote before. I, I don't think he's an upgrade from McCarthy. I mean. And I don't think it's, and I think like we know enough about McCarthy's squeamishness about January 6th to say, not that he is a hero, not that you want to count on him to defend democracy in a time of crisis, but to say his behavior is different than Jim Jordan's behavior. So if I got to choose between the two about who I feel is going to be most likely to help ratify this election, I would take McCarthy over Jordan. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to Johnson, I don't have I, I have much less to work with. Uh, and again, on paper, I still take McCarthy over Johnson. But maybe Johnson's not as hardcore as Jordan was, and maybe Johnson. Well, I mean, temperamentally, he he has the you know the haircut and the glasses mm. and the, the the he has a a better demeanor than Jordan, and he he seems like a nice boy, um, young man. Um, but I don't know if that, you know, belies a, uh, wolf in sheep's clothing type thing. Yeah. It's, so it's very intense, which, which is why I think people are in Washington on pins and needles. Cause I think they don't know what Johnson really wants or what his end game is. And, 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 and we don't know what he's saying privately to Mitch McConnell to, the defense hawks to the White House is there, are, are there winks and nods going on, or is he just being a total? Is he being very opaque? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think you got to obviously you get, you get no choice but to, but to play out the string. Uh, and so, one question for the Democrats is in the House: Do you pass this Israel bill just to just to pass something, just to move this process forward and get to a House Senate conference, or do you draw a line in the sand now and say? We can't abide by anything with any sort of offset, especially this, you know, fake offset. That is a great question. And I don't know the answer to it. Um, I think you could argue that. Um, I mean, this, this goes back to kind of what uh, the normies and the moderates in the Republican Party faced, which is if you care, it's hard to win an argument if you care about. You know, the person who's willing to walk away usually wins the negotiation. And if you really care about the institution or the result, the end result, uh, that puts you in a weaker state. Like if you really want to make sure you fund Israel, then um, maybe you have to um, bite the bullet and, and, and take whatever they're offering to make that happen. Right. If you truly care about that issue. But um, yeah, they, and they, they, and who would be blamed if, if Democrats say, no, can't do it. We want a clean bill and not only a clean bill, we want to fund Ukraine and Israel. Um, and let me just say, I mean, it's probably clear. Like, I see this as part of a larger struggle of allies who were attacked by someone else, by bad guys. And so... I like pairing them together. I mean, Lindsey Graham has been echoing the White House line 
and saying these things are directly Israel and Ukraine are directly connected because Russia is the instigator in Ukraine and Iran is a partner of Hamas and Russia and Iran are aligned. And so if if uh, if Hamas wins, that helps Russia. If Ukraine, if 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 Russia wins in Ukraine, that helps Iran. So these things are directly intertwined. Uh, and uh, I th- would imagine that logic is going to carry the day. I mean, maybe maybe they get nominally separated, but I think both things are eventually going to pass. Uh, and I I guess I would lean towards passing something in the House. Primarily because we don't have we, we don't have unlimited time. Not necessarily Israel needs this funding like literally today, because I think they have a well-funded military. I can, but again, I'm not the defense expert here. Um, but that we have this November 17th deadline to keep the government open, which is a whole other giant mess that doesn't seem to be being solved right now. Uh, and if we could just expedite our our bills. And get as much cooperation as possible. You know, I'm anti chaos. I mean, my main concern about all of this speaker drama is needless chaos. We can not not good for America and not good for Democrats. That's that's where I'm where I'm at. Um, so if I'm a Democrat, you know, I guess my lean would be like, what's going to be the least chaotic thing? Just say, look, just get this, just pass this dumb thing. Say it while you're doing it. I vehemently against this offset. I'm vehemently against separating Israel from Ukraine. I 100% support. Senate in negotiating those back in at House Senate conference. So I'm not giving any kind of legitimacy to all the particulars of this bill, but I want to move to House Senate conference as soon as possible. So meanwhile, um, you know, Joe Biden is continues to struggle in the polls. Um, You've got some on the left, places like college campuses that are erupting with anti-Semitism, pro-Hamas rallies, things like that. Um, And apparently Biden, there are some, uh, I guess, in the Muslim community that are upset with Joe Biden in places like Michigan. Bill, I think Joe Biden has to win Michigan. I think Michigan's a kind of important state for Joe Biden. Um, And uh, so there is, will you tell me, is there a danger that some percent of the left of the Democratic base may just not vote for Joe Biden in the future, and that could be that. Well, this is obviously a very loaded subject. Um, So I don't want to speak about it too cavalierly. Um, Let me say this. Historically speaking, it is very, I can't think of an example where a foreign policy crisis was a primary driver of presidential voting behavior with the exception of wars where Americans themselves are doing the fighting. Uh, You can look at, you know, Jimmy Carter had the Camp David Accords. No, no bump for him in 1980. Uh, we had the Lebanon uh, Marine Barracks bombing in, in Beirut in 1983 that didn't hurt Reagan in 1984. Um, uh, nothing involving uh, Serbia, you know, was, a, or <clears throat> alone, you know, I can't remember the timing of the uh, Northern Ireland Peace Accords. That was first term or second term. But I know, you know, Serbia was in the background of the 96 election, but that wasn't, again, something that really determined uh, the outcome. Uh, so uh, I know there are people that are arguing, you know, that you know, whether on the uh, those who are sympathetic to Israel, sympathetic to the Palestinians, who will say like we're not going to forget this come election day, uh, but that would not fit historical pattern. Now you could certainly argue that this that this is different because there's because of the emotions involved, yeah. uh, but. I'm not going to quickly assume that this is going to be an exception because we're in the middle of a particularly emotional, emotional time uh, of, of, of this crisis. Yeah. But, but Joe Biden is 
already so vulnerable. He's already so unpopular. And by the way, let me say, I get the economy. I understand that aspect of it, but I don't understand why Joe Biden is so is so unpopular. I, I don't think he's been that horrible. I'm surprised that his approval is so low, but it is. It's very low. He's perceived to be way too old. So he's already in trouble. And then you have in other in other sort of like, you know, anti-war moments or or whatever, like Vietnam or something like that. I mean, the 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 opposition was dispersed throughout the country, um, or it was in a place like like uh, California, maybe that didn't matter so much, or the elections weren't as close. But like, we have this very close electoral college, and if Biden loses twenty thousand votes in Michigan because of this, and I think that's got a pretty large, like Muslim community in Michigan. Like, if Biden loses twenty thousand votes in Michigan because of this, because he supports Israel full throatedly, um, that could that could be enough to throw the presidential race. We we don't know how much Biden is going to lose on one side of this equation. How much is he going to gain? Uh, because I mean, the Arab population in Michigan is larger than the Jewish population in Michigan, but there are, but there is a Jewish population in Michigan, um, and there's some other people who are neither Arab or Jewish who have their sympathies uh, to Israel. Um, and there's obviously a big Jewish population in Florida. Does Biden get a bump in Florida? Well, let me uh, ask you this. I, mean, I know I'm interrupting a question I asked you to ask a second question, but I, I saw this week Mayim Balik from Blossom and Jeopardy and Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. and Amy Schumer, who mm-hmm. are both Jewish people from the left who have been very outspoken in support of Israel. And um, do you think there is a chance that that Jewish Democrats may reposition and realign Based on the left, uh, the left support for Hamas and and Look, uh, against Israel. Uh, Biden's pro-Israel, Chuck Schumer's pro-Israel, Hakeem Jeffries is pro-Israel. You're going to see most Democrats vote for Israel funding in the House and the Senate. Um, I, I don't think this is really. Uh, I don't think the Democratic Party writ large is going to, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing conservatives talk about Biden's moral clarity on the subject. Uh, well, I certainly have, and I think that's true. But um, number one, will it endure? I hope it does. And number two, you know, just like the Republican Party is often judged by like what Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert say or do, you know, the Democratic Party is going to, to some degree, be judged by what leftists on campuses and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib say or do. Well, except that you're seeing many more Democrats actually speak out against that stuff. Uh, I mean, so there, there is, I think, I mean, obviously there's a lot roiling. I mean, I, I, you know, my, my gut reaction from the, when the campus first cropped up was, you know, campuses are campuses. Like they, why are we giving any of this stuff, you know, major credence, but this has definitely become, more, not just more sustained, but I think part, but part of the global conversation, uh, because it is, because it does track with, again, a generational drop off in sympathy for Israel that we do see in polling. Uh, and, yeah. that, and, that, and that predates what happened uh, on, on October 7th. Uh, and it is jarring for, uh, other progressive Jews who uh, do believe Israel should has a right to exist, uh, there's a lot of upset that whatever you think about the, the the rights of Palestinians, why can't you condemn this barbarous terrorist attack? Um, so we've seen a lot of you know news articles uh, about that. I, I see it in my own circles. Um, uh, 
So you're definitely seeing, you know, big tension uh, on the left, broadly speaking, on the subject. Uh, but I don't. But I think it's very premature to say that's going to have electoral impact because I, I I do suspect that the loudest voices are more prominent in their decibel level than their number. Yeah. Um, and, and where are they situated? Are they, how, you know, the Michigan point about the Arab population is, is, is definitely a relevant one, but generally speaking, how much of this is really going to be an impact in a, in a swing state, uh, that I think is, 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 is an unknown. Um, but so it's, it's not, not to put too fine a point on it, but I mean, if the democratic coalition currently consists of Jewish Americans who tend to be more politically progressive and, you know, Islamic Americans who, let's say, are more predisposed to support the Palestinian cause and young folks who are more predisposed to support the Palestinian cause and be less pro-Israel. At a certain point, if this becomes a flashpoint issue, that's can 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 they stay in the same coalition? Would would someone I think, push I think, out I think, or leave? I think it's more likely that the more pro-Palestinian voices would not vote or vote third party than otherwise Democratic voters go vote Republican because of this tension. Uh, and to the extent that that's, I mean, the third parties might be a factor here, I grant, but I, you know, Cornell West would be the most logical choice for a, uh, you know, a, a strong pro-Palestinian voter to want to go to because he's, because he is speaking that language the most but I am highly skeptical he's going to be on a lot of ballots. Um, he just uh, just lost another campaign manager. He lost Peter Dow. Um, well, after only having him for you know a few a few weeks, uh, and uh, and I actually know Peter personally, though we haven't talked in a long time. But I actually, I, I can't even know if, if Peter Dow is going to be a campaign maestro for him. He he's been involved in campaigns before, but has hasn't like literally managed a nationwide. Uh, presidential campaign before, but the point, the point more is that there's, there's been a lot of chaos around the Cornell West campaign. Even Cornell West himself is, says he says they're shooting for 35 states, which is far short of 50. If you're only on 35 state ballots, you know, do you even get into national polls? Can a national pollster credibly put you in if a good chunk of the country can't vote for you at all? Um, now, and and his fundraising is really anemic, and it, and it costs money to get on ballots. Uh, now, Kennedy is one of the better financed third-party candidates we've had in a long time. Now, granted, most of that money came in while he was running in a party primary. Uh, and maybe he'll lose money now that Republicans don't necessarily think it makes sense for them to fund a third-party candidacy who might be taking more from Trump than from Biden. You know, who he pulls from is still very much an open question. There's different polls have said different things. Um but I think he has, even if you lose some of that money, I think he has his own network of, you know, celebrity types and wealthy types who are, let's face it, cranks. Um, uh, and he's polling in the teens. Now, there still is that ballot access question. You know, he, it, I mean, he might have the resources to get on the ballot. doesn't I mean he will have the team that will actually do the job. It's still tricky. It's still, you still face a big legal gauntlet. Um, and he came out right after the Hamas attack and condemned it and defended Israel's right to defend itself. And that, and I saw on this, you know, X.com, you know, replies, there are definitely some folks who were unhappy with him doing that. And here's someone who was charged with anti-Semitism, you know, not too long ago. Um, but he's also sounded critical of these, of these war funding bills. So if he is the only real third party option, he could still pull in uh, some of that anti-Israel support uh, and perhaps 
that would be what he takes from parts of the left and the right. Uh, so there's a lot of X factors out here uh, that people should be tracking. Uh, but I think it is probably not right to say, let's look at this one factor, look at this one factor of the potential Arab vote in Michigan and make that everything. Because there's all sorts of factors going on here, which we have very little hard data to really get our, get our heads around. I don't know how much you're really going to be salient a year from now. Well, we're at the 45-minute mark, Bill, uh, but I did want to talk about, um, quickly, about Nikki Haley, who seems like she's overtaking Ron DeSantis, um, at least in the early states. I think she's in second place in New Hampshire, according to recent polling, and uh, has tied DeSantis for second place in Iowa, according to a recent, according to a recent survey. It just really feels also, like... Also second in South Carolina. Right. And so one could imagine the possibility of her stringing together kind of a run early on. Um, and I don't know if she could run the table for the first three, but like, let's say she did. Now, to be clear, I mean, Trump is still in first place, but I don't think he has a majority in the early states and it's not a national election. And, um, you know, weird things happen in Iowa and New Hampshire. Well, let's, um, let's, uh, happened. let's, let's, let's get some hard numbers here. Okay. I'm, I'm just looking okay, at, let's go to bill who has the numbers. <laughs> so I'm looking at the, uh, real clear politics page. I know, sorry, 538 fans. Um, but I, 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 if they're, if real clear is missing one or two, I don't think we're totally missing the, the bigger picture here. Um, so the most recent, Iowa poll, which was Des Moines Register, NBC News, I believe, uh, I believe Seltzer did that one. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong about that. Um, but she usually does the Des Moines Register polls. Um, uh, I'm just looking at it. Clear. Yeah, so that, that, that's a Seltzer. Um, that Trump at 43 and DeSantis and Haley tied at 16. And earlier in October, you had an Iowa State poll that had Trump at 55, DeSantis at 17, Haley at 11. So, so clearly Haley is, is the trend is Haley is going up, DeSantis is going down at least a bit. Or DeSantis is more flat, I'd say. Um, and, you know, Trump is, you know, down a tick when you add in that new, that new Des Moines Register poll. But you're I mean, still Trump talking- is easily winning, but not a majority. Still not a majority, but you're still talking. Haley is 27 points behind. And there's no reason to believe that she would get the lion's share of the DeSantis vote if even DeSantis dropped out. That is key. I think Trump might get those votes. So maybe we need Ron to stay in. I mean, Iowa. Hey, good news. Nikki's going to get the two two Mike Pence votes. So (laughs) Iowa is... The, the Iowa Republican electorate is highly Christian conservative, which gave hope to people like DeSantis or Pence or Tim Scott that they could they could they could strike those notes and pull people away from Trump. It's not really right for the most moderate candidate to break through. Uh, now, New Hampshire is a different story because independents can vote and they've had uh moderate breakthroughs. You know, John McCain, you know, was able to pull the Maverick thing and pull independence there and, and overtake the fact that a lot of, you know, I think it's more that they're idiosyncratic and contrarian than it. And, and also that they correct for, they correct Iowa or they counter Iowa. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely a different type of pool. They don't feel obligated to do what Iowa does. It's not, yeah, so, so you get Pat Buchanan, but you also get John McCain. Right, exactly. Uh, now, most recent poll is uh, end of September, top of October. USA Today: Trump forty nine, Haley nineteen, DeSantis ten, Christie six. You know, so again, you're talking still thirty points behind. Uh, sure, maybe Christie fades away and, and Haley picks up that six. Now she's at twenty five. Uh, She's not going to get all of that DeSantis vote. You know, it's it's still very hard. You Trump needs to lose voters. 
Mm-hmm. It's not enough just to cons- – I mean, the field is going to narrow. And as the field narrows, the person who's running second, which is more yeah. and more Haley, she'll pick up some from that. Yeah. But, but Bill, as, as I wrote at the Daily Beast, I mean, Trump is likely to be the nominee, obviously. Um, but something weird could happen, right? He could die. He could uh, go to jail. Um, that may or may not even move the needle. Maybe that helps him, right? He's not going to be in prison before election day unless he like really pushes the judge too far on this gag order stuff. Something Uh, could break the spell. Now, if history is a predictor, that won't happen because nothing ever breaks the spell. But theoretically speaking, something could. And when, if and when that were to happen, it would be nice to be in second place. And that is where I think is interesting is it seems like, you know, and again, it's not worth writing home about because she still a di- would be a, still a very distant second. But it does seem like Nikki Haley is supplanting Ron DeSantis. That is kind of a big deal. Ron DeSantis was coming into this race thought to be clearly the uh, the top rival to Trump. And that doesn't seem to have happened. Haley is getting into second by being moderate-ish being a little more nuanced than others, uh, being forthright on Israel and Ukraine, uh, and again, and being moderate-ish on abortion. Uh, and I don't see how that gets you to 50 or even into the 40s in this Republican Party. Well, first I would say, I think it was a better, no, first I would say she is charismatic. She is likable. She's a good debater. She's a good political athlete, as Pat Buchanan would say. She's better than Ron DeSantis at politics. Second, she had a better strategy. Ron DeSantis was trying to take the lane of a guy, of a lane that's not open. Donald Trump owns that lane. Correct. So I think that Nikki Haley, I mean, you may say that you know, that that her the coalition she's assembled can't get you over 50 percent in the Republican Party. But I would say she has occupied and tried to start to coalesce the only gettable voters in the Republican Party. And then if something happens, she's ready to. I think she can consolidate the anti-Trump vote, but that's not enough. You have to convince current Trump voters to abandon him. Okay, and, but that'll either happen or not. That's an exon- exogenous event. That will either happen or it won't. And when it happens, the person, if you've coalesced the non-Trump voters, but not entirely alienated Trump voters, or at least some of the Trump voters, you have a better shot. I just think it's a smarter strategy than what DeSantis tried to do, which I, by I, my lights is completely irrational. I mean, she... She has a better strategy than the dumbest strategy that this field has to <laughs> offer. I'll grant you that. Uh, I just think it's, I, I think it's too late. I think it's too late. I think the project of persuading soft Trump voters that he is dead weight to the Republican Party and a sure loser, I think that project had to be started a much longer time ago. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Haley takes her jabs at Trump. Uh, but I said that that needed like the full force of not just one or two campaigns, but the broader Republican Party. They need to be a real team effort. Uh, and it's just not there. I don't, yeah. think, I don't think any one campaign is going to be able to execute that, particularly at this stage of the game when this is for many people, I mean, you'll say it's just November. It's it's just people have people have breakthrough late. People break through in January. That happens, but like not against a former president with a deep reservoir of support. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I I don't disagree with you. I completely agree with you. Um, we don't know if it would have worked. It's impossible to say whether if the entire Republican Party had punched Donald Trump in the nose and held hands and jumped off the cliff or whatever. If We don't know if that would have worked, but what we do know is that uh, they didn't do it and Donald Trump 
is running away with the nomination. My point is that once we concede that Donald Trump is clearly the front runner and is clearly the most likely Republican to win the nomination, once we've conceded that point, I see what Nikki Haley's up to. And I think she is positioning herself to be there if something happens. That's as good as it gets, Republicans, if, if, if never Trumpers. That's as good as it gets. She's doing well enough that she's going to get more media attention. She's going to be able to raise more money uh, and probably be able, I mean, barring some massive stumble on her part or some bit of oppo or whatever. I mean, obviously people have their, people can rise and fall quickly. We've seen it happen, but she's not a total joke like a Herman Cain, for example, who or Ben Carson, Michelle Bachman, people who you could expect to flame out quickly. You know, she has more substance behind her than that. So I, I, and 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 we've we've seen a fair amount of vetting of her already, uh, so we already we already we already know she's a Mitt Romney esque flip flopper, uh, who uh, you can easily mock her for not standing for anything. Yeah, we've there are her. no great heroes in this game. Right. I mean, like, I think the knocks on her are known. Um, so uh, I don't I, I I don't expect the flame out, uh, and so it would be logical that the field will narrow. She would be the main Trump alternative. You'll get some more poll number growth because of that, and that will bring in money and media attention. So you might effectively bring this down to a two-person race. I just don't see how she wins a two-person race with, with, with Donald Trump. And she only the- does if something happens, some deus ex machina, however that's pronounced, mm-hmm. the ghost in the machine, like some exogenous event that's magical. And then she does, right? She can't force it. She does not control her own destiny. She's the football team that backs into the playoffs if she's lucky. Does not Something has to happen. But the, the, the game right now is uh, the best we can do is to get in position where some, you know, the ball bounces her way and she wins Iowa. And then Trump stumbles and she wins. You know, like that's as good as it gets, never Trumpers. This is, this is the best case scenario. And let's also keep in mind, Trump will soon bring his full force towards her. He will savage her mercilessly. Bird brain. <laughs> Bird brain is one of his weakest nicknames. I, I, I was I was underwhelmed by Bird brain, but I but I think there's a lot of material for him to work with because because she is a phony because she does play both sides of the issue all the time. Uh, like he, Trump is really good at finding that weak spot, elevating it, and I think the weak spot is not hard to spot. Do you agree with me that Nikki Haley would be the toughest candidate for Joe Biden to beat in a general election? Um, not necessarily, because again, I I, I think she is a Mitt Romney type who can be depicted as a phony. Um, yeah, but Mitt Romney wasn't just a phony; he was also a corporate raider, uh, vulture capitalist from Bain, right? I mean, I don't think Nikki has quite the same vulnerability. You you, you, you can't play that card, but you can- It's a big card to play. Other other cards you can play. You can do all sorts of weather vane type of, you know, ads that you're saying one thing and doing another. And that would prompt media reporters to press her on these things. She's not necessarily good at being uh, faced with her contradictions. So she's hardly a, a, a perfect, you know, laser guide missile against Joe Biden. Uh, and I still think that I and I grant that the poll numbers seem very stuck for Biden. And you were, and you were saying you were surprised before. Like, I, I think it's very possible that presidents just aren't going to poll that well in general because we're too polarized. They're going to be in the 40s. There are people in the middle just aren't going to like cast their allegiance with one side or the other at this stage of the game. Um, but, uh, I think the dementia, the, I mean, age is still a factor. I'm not saying it's not, uh, but I think the dementia argument has, has faded because he is in the middle of a crisis and he doesn't look demented, uh, but tired, you know, and I I think that concerns people. It looks, he always looks a little drained, uh, a throwback to the SNL uh, yeah. skit. The, the, the a, open. A, a disappointing Biden impression from Mikey Day. And I like Mikey Day other things, but like he's not. But when he tried to Biden. quickly walk across the stage, 
that was pretty good. And climbing well, the ladder, let's be honest, that was good. Again, and forgive me for being, you know, uh, attached to history. A president riding a good economic trajectory, even a decent economic trajectory, has always won. Uh, and we have the gangbusters third quarter growth just uh, just announced. Uh, inflation is still ebbing. Wages are still going up. Uh, things could change. You know, I'm not an expert, but I think as long as inflation is where it is and interest rates are where they are, it's tough sledding, man. Tough sledding. That, that could be the whole race right there. I, I think inflation is on the right track. Uh, I mean, the interest rates are the are the are the going to be the tougher part than the inflation part. Again, if 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 this current trajectory continues, now look, if we have a three month shutdown. Because Mike Johnson is, is not the task or is deliberately trying to have a long shutdown. Uh, and that takes a giant chunk out of GDP, then I'll I'll revisit. Well, then Democrats uh, can claim credit for uh, giving us Speaker Johnson. Um, again, the gamble I would not have taken, but uh, we, all the soft landing numbers have been coming in very steadily. Uh, and the critical economic quarters for GDP are first and second because GDP is a leading indicator. So if we're still growing in the first two quarters of 2024 and inflation is still ebbing, uh, I mean, the, the, the tough thing is, you know, with growth can come inflation uh, and the, the higher interest rates are a check on that. So we probably won't, I don't think we would have high inflation and high interest rates. We might have Lower inflation and high interest rates, or interest rates will be lowered too soon, and inflation will come back in. But again, it's it's hard to assess these things to perfection because weird things happen. Uh, but well, let me say your your predictions uh, of late have been very good, but I think you were too bullish, or too too optimistic for on Biden and the economy. That's my. I'm gonna say, it, I think opinion. if the trajectory continues, I think people are gonna stick with devil. They know. I, I think the fear about how he he looks tired, I think that will be deprioritized in crunch time if the economy yeah. is good. I couldn't care less about it. It seems to really freak out other people, though. But I don't care, uh, and I, I enjoyed the fact that Biden isn't wreaking havoc all the time and talking constantly and holding late night press conferences. I think that's a plus for me. Um, but it apparently really bothers a lot of people. And I don't think it's just, I don't think it's just people looking for something to hate on him. I think it really freaks people out that. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, it's why Trump acts the, and Putin act like they're big tough guys all the time. Yeah. You, can, you can feel reassuring. I mean, it's, it's sort of illogical because it's such an obvious performance, but that's why they do it. And Biden's not Biden in, in this respect is not a phony. It <laughs> doesn't like put forth a propaganda machine to like pretend you know he's younger than he is. He puts himself out there, uh, and uh, and I think it bothers some people. It, 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 I think it's a dampening effect on his numbers now. But I think in, in a year from now, you can say he can say I've been doing this for four years. This I, I'm over eighty years old. I know I sound different. I know I look different, but you see me do the job. You see where the growth numbers are. You see that wages are coming up. You see that I've been in the crucible on the global stage, and I've I've, I've been a, I've been trying to keep I'm trying to contain global chaos, and not be a source of global chaos. Uh, you can trust me that I can I can continue to do this job. And I think it's like a speech I gave my wife the other night. <laughs> she was getting ready to hit the hit the road. Um, I like that, Bill. Uh, Oh, by the way, it was it was uh, uh, Dustin Nickerson, I should say, is the comedian I couldn't whose name I couldn't remember earlier. Check out his stuff. I I do recommend it. Um, Bill, we've been talking for an hour and three minutes at this point. I guess right. we should wrap it up. We didn't even right. hit all of our topics today, but you know we're out of time. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, let me plug something. Uh, I did a, a podcast with um, um, Zach. Kissel from National Review, uh, who has been doing a great job of of kind of documenting and curating anti-Semitism on college campuses. He just graduated, I think, in May from Northwestern. So very interesting conversation. Check that out. Matt Lewis in the news where you get your podcast, Bill.
Excellent. Well, the Washington Monthly's November, December print issue is out. So there's lots of stuff. Uh, so you can get the, by getting the actual print publication or you, the articles are also online. Uh, if you join, if you subscribe to the new Washington Monthly Substack newsletter and you uh, pay for this, you can get the Substack newsletter for free. But if you pay for it, you get, you get the magazine. Uh, uh, and the cover story is uh, is about Joe Biden and what he's doing for the economy. Um, the main article is called "The Great Reordering." Uh, there's another one uh, about his antitrust uh, agenda, but the cover package is labeled "The Bidenomics is really a BF is, is a real BFD or really a BFD." Um, so, real good insight there about what he's doing uh, uh, above the radar and below the radar that folks should check out. All right, I said Zach Kissel. Zach Kessel. Follow him on Twitter, Z-A-C-H underscore, I think it's K-E-S-S-E-L, the comedian Dustin Nickerson. Uh, and, uh, you know, go watch some Night Court, watch some Adam's Family. Um, watch the Burbs, Bill. Go, You got to watch the Burbs. Okay, uh, all right. And so uh, that's my spiel. And uh, maybe next year we'll be back to trick-or-treating. Or maybe I will be living the dream. Where I'm come, not even involved. You should come up here. I just put out, maybe I just put out a box of candy with a sign, take one. Yeah, I did, I did that once. And it was very clear that ball was just taken by one person like right away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, a pleasure as always, Bill. Uh, follow us on Twitter at DMZ Show. Support us at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Bill Share. Patreon.com slash Matt Lewis. And we'll see you back here on the DMZ next week. Take care.